they've made it. All right, from the buses to the train, here we go. Athletes have been flooding our social media feeds with flights, sights, and bites, all building up to one big night. And the moment many of you at home have been waiting for, the representatives of the United States of America enter for the Beijing Games. And there they are. Welcome to the Olympic Winter Games, Beijing 2022. You're seeing this group of 224 athletes in the same uniform, many arriving on the same chartered flights. Yeah! But every journey to the games is decidedly unique. And that's where we'll start these games, by putting a story to the faces and names that make up Team USA. From NBC Sports, this is The Podium, a podcast about the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi, coming to you every day from the ground with a unique angle on the performances that are carving what's possible on ice and snow. The Bird's Nest plays host to its second opening ceremony, and the athletes' delegations have traded in their seersucker suits and berets for boots and beanies. It's winter. Winter Vanecki having a great season so far, making it through to this women's superfinal. Silver medal position at the moment. Winter Vanecki, this is it. You're an aerial skier in your freshman games. What are you thinking before your first opening ceremony ever? I always dreamed of making it to the Olympics to be able to represent the USA on the world stage. I definitely thought it was going to be probably more the Summer Olympics, though, with all my running and triathlons that I were doing before. So I definitely did not anticipate it being aerial skiing. I'm sure. I mean, looking at your triathlon and marathon career, it's a bit surprising. What attracted you to running? I loved using running growing up as a way to be able to have fun, go out there, enjoy some exercise, but also to be able to help make a difference in the lives of others. After losing my dad at such a young age, I really wanted to use my athletic platform as a way to spread awareness for causes that were important to me. Running can definitely be very peaceful, and I love that you can just push yourself as little or as much as you want to. If you want to have a really great workout or also just go out and clear your head, it's a great thing to do that. And you discovered that escape pretty early, right? In 2013, when you held the record for youngest person to run a marathon on every continent at 15 years old. It's crazy to say it. Do you do you feel like a trailblazer, kind of doing the unexpected in the sports you try? People are always going to question what you're doing when you're doing something that nobody else is doing. And so whether it was my marathons, my triathlons, or now aerial skiing, there's always going to be the doubters and the naysayers. When I was racing triathlons at eight years old that the adults were doing, people were saying, oh, she shouldn't be going that far. Maybe she should wait till she's older. Then I was doing marathons and people thought, oh, maybe she's going to get hurt. And now aerial skiing, it's obviously a more high risk sport. And so people always are going to have their worries and their doubts. But it just comes with the territory of doing things that a lot of other people aren't doing. I mean, it's led you here tonight, right? Despite all the obstacles, it, it does sound a bit meant to be. I think there's a combination of a bunch of different things. It could be fate, it could be luck, whatever you want to call it. 
I'm definitely fortunate that I ended up here in Park City. I grew up ski racing, but that is definitely different from aerial skiing. I happened to meet Emily Cook at an event in New York City and then happened to come out here and try aerials. So a lot of different pieces definitely had to line up in order to get me here. Track records work, track record. That's the way to respond from the youngster from Glenrock, Pennsylvania. And then there's summer. Family stoked and summer's pumped. Um, so my name is Summer, obviously, and I've definitely heard that joke before. What am I doing in a winter sport? Um, I have, I have three older siblings. They all have normal names. And my mom said I was born after a really cold winter and she just was thinking of the warm summer and was actually born on the first day of spring. So it really doesn't make sense, but that's kind of how I ended up with, with the name Summer. And you'll always have that story. And actually, this is the first day of spring in the Chinese year. So again, maybe more men to be than we think. Do you wear the name as a badge of honor, proof of a, I don't know, a sunny disposition? Uh, I don't know if I liked it or disliked it. I definitely, um, I was a little bit of a, a little brat growing up. So I would get like made fun of for my name the way anyone with a different name would. And I would retaliate. So I definitely... Um, kicked some kids in shins for making fun of my name, and uh, I didn't ever, ever uh, take it sitting down, but I definitely like it now. Alex Hall is doing it! No way! Was that a 2160? Did he just go to the future? I mean, that was incredible. Alex Hall coming out. I gotta slow this down. Switch 9, switch 10, 14. Alex Hall, pro skier, you've had a string of great results in the last two years. I mean, eight combined medals at World Champs and X Games since the last Olympic Games. You've talked about the summer, of all things, that helped it click. That was COVID summer, yeah. Um, I spent the summer of 2020 in the U.S., which was super, super rare for us because we're usually traveling all summer. We go to New Zealand and a bunch of other places. But... Um, yeah, the summer of 2020 was uh, a pretty slow one. I actually just came, came out to the coast of California and road tripped all the way up the coast with some of my friends and spent it surfing a lot and just kind of uh, living out of my car and just um, camping a bunch and working on my surfing skills. And it was actually a super fun summer, even though we kind of didn't get to do what we usually do and travel. I skied a lot less than I usually do, but I think that was refreshing as well because I was so excited to start the season when it did come and the snow did fall that um, it was a perfect little break that I needed. And um, yeah, I love just car camping and staying in my car and uh, getting to surf a, a lot. So that was great. Wait, you're tall, six four-ish? What kind of van, what kind of car do you have? I own a Subaru Outback. So it's pretty small actually. I like don't really fit in it completely, but um, I sleep diagonally so it works kind of. But I, yeah, I, I wish, or I don't wish, but I, I, I was fortunate enough that I actually had a pretty, pretty mellow and memorable summer, even though a lot of people had a lot of struggles. I know that uh, um, I was super lucky to just have a pretty good time and, and kind of keep it more low key than usual. I'll say no kitchen. <laughs> How are your chef skills anyway? Um, I've definitely improved, still not great, but I love good food. I mean, a home cooked meal is always better than going out to some restaurant so I try but um yeah not good at all but usually when we're on a team trip and we can all get all of our minds together 
to try and um, think of something that turns out better than cooking alone. I don't like cooking alone, I will say that. And I don't like cooking for myself. I like, like we call it collab dinners, where we like all kind of chip in and all cook a big dinner for like five people or something. And then it's a little more fun doing it with someone else. Always, right? So who would be the best cook for these collab dinners? You? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, Nick, Nick Epper, he's just like a little more mature than all of us. We're all like quite a bit younger, or not quite a bit, we're all a little younger than him. He, he's been more of an adult for a while. So he's, he's and he's, but it's a bummer because he's usually not part of our collab dinners that much. He's kind of on his own program because I think he knows he's a better cook than us, but um, he, he's pretty good. He, he's like got some good variation and um, we, we tend to cook the same things sometimes. But we're beyond like pasta and red sauce. We're past that. So that's good. Red Gerard now one more jump to navigate. Will it be enough? There, he puts it down. The triple court, 1440. Someone who doesn't seem to let his Olympic moments get too big is Red Gerard, who comes to Beijing to defend a slope-style snowboarding gold a feat that projected him into the national discourse. The teenager from Silverthorne is now the golden kid of Colorado. Red, you were 17 at the last games. Your win seemed unexpected, even to you. It kind of seems you famously slept in after binge watching TV the night before and in your post-win interview, you may have forgotten you were live just for a little bit. What comes to mind when you think about the 2018 games? A blur, because I straight up can't even think back on it. Like, it, oh, the feelings and just everything that you've worked for and it leading up to this moment and everything going as planned is indescribable, I think. I, I, I actually, one word would be like, undescribable. Undescribable. But I know at least one thing didn't go to plan your Team USA jacket. Yeah, rookie mistakes for sure. <laughs> Losing my jacket. I don't know how it happened or when it happened or whatever, but definitely a rookie mistake. And who knows if I even really lost it. could have been under a bag or something. Me and Kyle have bags everywhere in our room. So luckily enough, I had a great teammate that let me one. Picked you up, right? The blur continued in the couple days between your two events in Pyeongchang, too. We did like a media tour, and... We did one night in L.A., and I went on, like, Jimmy Kimmel, and then two nights in New York, and just kind of, like, hit every single talk show, and then flew back for Big Air. But remembering what's important, the performance, not the jacket, can also be done in a less blurry, more deliberate way. The other switch double, the only guy doing both switch doubles. Down into the bottom, does he have the double court? 1260, yes! David Wise just performed four different huge switch doubles. Excuse me, two switch doubles, two David, you're one of the older freestyle skiers on Team USA. You've won every gold medal in Olympic men's halfpipe skiing in history, considering the event debuted in 2014. Do you have some kind of, I don't know, secret mantra that keeps you so darn consistent when you compete? Yeah, I do. I, I've always had, um, it kind of varies from season to season. 
depending on you know when I'm meditating and praying, what really I feel like is my mantra for the year. Um, going into Pyeongchang, it was I cannot fail because it's not my victory. And I always write it on the sleeve of my jacket. It's the last thing I look at before I drop in because it's just a good reminder before I go. Um, and whatever it is, my, my one before that was embrace life, seek truth, be free. Just just let it, let it run. And then uh, a couple of years before that, it was embrace the opportunity. So it was just my way of saying, on embrace the opportunity, it was just my way of saying, hey, this is an opportunity. It's not a requirement. You don't have to do this. You get to. And there's a huge difference between having to do something and getting to do something. One you see of as, as pressure or requirement, and another you see as just freedom. You get to go do what you love to do. And you're pretty good at it. You've gotten to be at the top of a lot of podiums and gone to opening ceremonies. Does it ever get old? I mean, there are a lot. I have a lot of Olympic memories that if I, if I like really like take a deep breath and think about them and, like, and re-visualize what happened, it'll almost bring me to tears sometimes. Just, you know, doing the opening ceremonies and seeing the crowds and the lights and this like whole production, like level of production that we, I never even imagined being possible um, was amazing. Um, but when I was getting my medal in Pyeongchang, it really doesn't snow that much uh, where we were competing, but there was this super cold, super light, wispy snow just drifting down and they're playing the national anthem and I'm literally like, I was unable to not think about the history of the song in the national anthem and the, and the stars and stripes and, and what that really means. And I was like about to just break down crying on the podium on live TV. And so like that was just a powerful moment I'll never forget. Uh, wow. I, I understand you've also got a trick to never forget your family when you're competing, even when they're not physically there. Yeah. I mean, I my family has gone with me to almost every major event that I've done in the last couple of years. And it really felt like something was missing every time I finished a run and I was looking around and I couldn't see my favorite people down there cheering me on. And I felt like they missed it, too. So for the last competition of the year this year, um, I made little cutouts of their face uh, so that I could take the, my last shot, my last photo of the year in the half pipe with them. So obviously they weren't really there, but I felt like they were there in spirit. And it was just a really cool way for me to, to remember what it's all about. Um, actually, in Sochi, my first Olympics, um, it being in Russia and my, my daughter, Nayeli, being three at the time, um, she didn't go either. So that actually, that cutout idea is purely from my wife's genius brain because she brought that cutout of Nayeli's face so that, and, and she made it huge. So during the Olympics in Sochi, when I, while I was competing, I could see that face more than anything else in the crowd and it, was, it got me hyped for sure. My little three-year-old there cheering me on. The Olympics are also a family affair which adds meaning to the event, the performance, and the journey to get there. For the next five men to drop in, including this man, American Chris Lillis, 22 years of age, originally from Pittsburgh, New York. Lillis has been training for this moment all year. Here we go, Chris Lillis. Gets it. Wow, history made. Oh, 
Chris, you're an aerial skier, but that isn't an individual sport in your case. Just in my family, in my life, it's never really felt like it was just me doing it. Um, so, you know, when I say representing the U.S. team and, and being on the U.S. ski team, I think that hits home for me mostly just, you know, being proud to represent the United States and uh, maybe having that little bit of a competitive edge between the U.S. and other countries and wanting to make uh, U.S. aerials the best team in the world. But um, I think that does kind of stem from growing up with brothers that did it, and we always did everything together, whether it be competitive or also just for support, just everything. It was like kind of like that weird mix where you're competing against your older brother. I competed with my older brother, John, for five years on the World Cup tour. And, uh, you know, we had kind of like that dual experience where you're getting competitive with each other. You obviously, you know, who wants to be the best brother around the dinner table and all that and have the best season? But it's never really been an individual sport for me. So both my brothers were skiers. My older brother, John's a world champion. And my younger brother, Michael, before he passed away, was on the U.S. development team. He was a great skier and great jumper. Also, I think he would probably be on this team right now if he was uh, still with us. But my 2018 season was, you know, more or less of a, you know, supreme bummer in the fact that, uh, you know, right as, right as we were getting started jumping for that season and the buildup for the Olympics, I mean, I'm feeling it right now. Every athlete is. And I definitely felt it the same way four years ago when the Olympics are coming up and you want to make that team and you want to represent your country at the biggest event of all time and something you've worked for your whole life for, the stress is ridiculously high. And so we were just getting going. And then, yeah, like the family tragedy struck where my brother did pass away. And, uh, you know, we were jumping a week after that. And because, you know, it's a little bit like there's not much you can do, you know. So the Olympics were happening regardless. And, you know, knowing my younger brother, he never would have wanted us to miss a day. But uh, it was tough. It wasn't quite the same for either my brother or I going back, especially not for me. I definitely had a lot of trouble with that first period coming back. And then uh, I had a knee injury that was a season-ending knee injury, which took me out of the qualification process altogether in an Olympics that I definitely hoped to, uh, to compete in. So I think it gave me a lot of strength going into this Olympics and, and the way I compete now and just the way I appreciate things and, and think about it. I mean, my brothers are something, I, I think about them every day when I'm jumping now. I usually compete or jump with uh, a locket in my pocket, you know, just something to remind me of him. But, uh, you know, it, it's when it's uh, a family member that's that un, unduly, you know, taken from you, it's, uh, you don't really feel better about it going forward. And especially since we all did skiing together, I think skiing is a big part of uh, how I remember him on a daily basis. Ryan Cochran Siegel, a flourish at the finish in Bormio and into first place. Ryan, tell us about your last opening ceremony. <laughs> so half of that experience is remembered as being... Um, it was just trying to figure out how to get to like where the team was located. I ended up showing up late with my teammate Jared. Um, we wanted to like hang out at our room for an extra 30 minutes, and it ended up like we almost missed it. But so we were just like fighting through, trying to be like, you know, we're athletes, we're trying to get in, and so many people were like, no, you can't do that. So that was half of it. But I think once we finally got settled and we started marching out, um, being with the the entire team of Team USA, kind of interacting with so many different athletes of so many different sports that we would otherwise never get to meet. It was very, very cool. And then just being in the stadium, watching the Olympic flame kind of light up, and taking that all in and seeing how connected we all were was um, 
very, very special. We're talking about family. Both of your parents are Olympians. I understand there's a very punctual business in the family, one that sees a blitz of work in the spring. Um, my grandparents have a lot of, or had a lot of land in Richmond, Vermont. And so it's been Escheria for a long time. Um, part of it has been Escheria for a long time. And there's just an abundance of trees um, that were just sitting there. So my cousins, four of them in 2010 got together and they started building a sugar bush, sugar house, the whole production. And so my connection is I'm their, um, their labor where I do all the hard work. No. So they, I mean, they produce maple syrup um, in the springtime when the sap runs and then it's their full time kind of like, it's funny. Part of it's kind of a hobby. Obviously it's their job and their livelihood too, but it's a cool, it's just such a cool um, kind of job in a way. There's a lot of variety and, and everything's changing, but everything's very like manageable and half the time you're out in the woods and just walking around, which is um, really just such a nice place to be that time of year. It's totally natural um, and it's just like kind of selling your rewards. <laughs> be honest, how much do you sell versus eat? <laughs> I put maple syrup on everything. How very New England of you. Growing up in New England, I mean, the Super Bowls in the last seven years or so aren't something you can really miss. The game happening during the winter games. How do you feel about football during your ski season? Um, I always hope that the Patriots are playing the one o'clock game because it makes it easier at seven o'clock in Europe. But it's tough. I was actually thinking about that. I've always I either watch recordings or. Like, if I don't have races coming up, then I try to watch it live. I mean, you're waking up at, your game starts at, like, almost midnight, and you're breaking in. So, the of the Super Bowls, like, I watched the Patriots lose the Eagles on the flight to Pyeongchang. Um, I watched, actually, against the Falcons, I watched that as a recording because we had a training run the next morning. So, I woke up at, like, 5 a.m. One uniform, countless stories of winning names and winning medals, of losing things big and small, brothers and jackets, of catching the 5 a.m. NFL game and going to sleep in a Subaru, of forgetting the time to remember why we're even here. Whether you woke up to watch the opening ceremony or are tuning into primetime, it's probably because you've got your own story on why you make time for the games. And today, the time has come. For the first time ever, the Super Bowl and Winter Olympics will be on the same day and the same network. Competition continues at the Winter Olympics tonight. And don't miss Super Bowl 56 as the LA Rams take on the Cincinnati Bengals February 13th on NBC and Peacock. Follow the podium now on Amazon to get automatic downloads and tune into the networks of NBC to watch every moment of the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games.